we realize that we're Americans. But I do believe that in America today, people have taken for granted the freedom and the liberties that we have. And many people have said to me with this whole Supreme Court ruling and the things that are going on in America, things that are taking place in Kansas even this past week and, you know, trying to get rid of the Ten Commandments on the courthouse lawn. I love the liberties and the freedoms that we have in our democracy. However, I fear and I feel also that we have forgotten who is in control of this great nation and what it was built on the foundation that America was built on. And so I made a comment to someone this past week. I said, isn't it amazing and how difficult it is to take up the cross of Christ? And for the first time in your life, and, and I've even explained this to my kids, when you get to a place in your life where you can say in, in, in a form of an illustration that we can pick up the cross. And we'll say, so what is that? Is that burdens? Is it uh, convictions? Whatever it is that you're dealing with, what are you going to surrender to pick up the cross of Christ for him? But I really believe that in this turning point of our nation, we're at a place where we're definitely going to have to pick up the cross of Christ and decide to follow Jesus. And we have forgotten that. And if we as Christians don't start revival in America, the world isn't. Because they don't know who Jesus is. You see, when we're in a parade and we're showing excitement, we're communicating the love of Christ. That's what it's about. And the hours and the hard work and the frustrations and everything that comes in with, with trying to make anything work. We realize that picking up his cross, there is a cost. And so I ask you this morning, what is the cost of your life for picking up the cross of Christ? And following him. Let's sing this little chorus called I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to Just stop for a minute and remember that little chorus that I have decided to follow Jesus. God bless America. You may be seated.
go ahead and turn the air off, if you would, please. And I will decide to follow Jesus and sweat up here this morning. I know, just get relaxed, right? Praise the Lord. If you would, please, turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 33. Psalms 33, we'll be reading in verse 12. Let's suppose that this week you turned on the TV news and heard these three announcements. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court has just issued this statement. Divine providence, which is God, has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. That actually happened on October 12, 1816. Number two, inquiries by our reporters reveal that almost every state legislator has now passed a law requiring all elected officials to take this oath. I do profess faith in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His only Son. And I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Number three. Suppose you turned on the TV and heard this announcement. Legislation was passed today in Congress to affirm that the Congress of the United States approves and recommends the Holy Bible for use in the schools. What do you think the response of these announcements would be, especially in our media today? I think there would be more reaction to them than we could even imagine. But you see, the amazing thing is this. Every one of these statements is historically accurate and factual. It was John Jay, the very first chief justice and often called the father of the Supreme Court. One of the primary writers of our Constitution who wrote, It is the duty... Of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians to their rulers. It was the state of Delaware, along with many other states, which required officeholders to take an oath affirming their Christian faith before they could take office. And they had a very logical reason for that requirement. Many times in the chamber, they've said, Pastor, are you available? And I find it real interesting because, you know, I kind of look at clergy in most cases, kind of how people look at God. Oh, let's use him to validate or seal the deal. I know that uh, many times they'll say, Pastor, can you please come here in the city of Akron and do the benediction? And I've been there for many things to pray, to read the word, to give a challenge at the end, beginning, what have you. And... uh, and yet, when new officers come in, they'll say, Hey, Pastor Todd, could you bring your Bible? And we want that new officer to put their hand on the Bible. And then I have them raise their right hand. And, and if a judge, oftentimes will do it, or a clergy. And yet, I look at our country where it's at today. And it's sad to think that people do not allow God to be a part of what's going on. See, there's so much symbolism that goes on in America today. You know, it's, 
If it's Christmas, you celebrate Christmas. If it's Easter, you celebrate Easter. If it's Fourth of July, you celebrate Fourth of July along with Memorial Day, you know, and we're all excited about Labor Day because that's our holiday where we get to, you know, take a break and unless you work in retail and you're working, it's not Labor Day for you. We go to Thanksgiving because we're going to thank God for this great country that we have and the people we can sit down and, and eat dinner with. And yet we forget who God really is in our nation. In 1782, not only did Congress approve the use of the Bible in our schools, they even paid with the tax dollar. Did you know that? And in 1844, when someone sued to remove them, the Supreme Court ruled this. Listen closely. Why should not the Bible, and especially the New Testament, be read and taught as divine revelation in the school? Would you hear that today? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly? But yet from the New Testament. Just think about this. If these people who were so instrumental in establishing our nation were here to say and do those things in our country today, they'd be considered right-wing radicals. And yet, many people would say, that man is a threat to our nation. Interesting. And yet, I don't even think that's an exaggeration. Today it is the day after the birthday of this great nation. And I'm excited that every year that I get to stop and look at his word and try to think, how can I talk about our world and where we're at and yet bring Scripture to a place where uh, people understand it. And yet today I want to give you more facts and, and speak historically than more on a spiritual level. And I know we just went through um, the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and so on and so forth. But I, th- I, find, I think all of you will find it very interesting this morning as we speak about what God is doing in His country. And what He did in the times of hardship in our nation. My brother Gary was sharing with me that he one day woke up and he was watching the Today Show. And they made an announcement that 3,000 soldiers had died in Afghanistan. And then they proceeded to say that there was the killing there in Virginia Tech. And yet the shooting took place and then there was the lady that was out in California trying to take any type of spiritual uh, literature uh, commandments off the court or whatever. She's fighting to get rid of anything that has to do with God. And my brother Gary over here was sharing with me and he said, you know what I found really profound is that they could say all that stuff and they'll air it and they'll verbalize it. And the, pe- and the um, president gets up. And he says, today in our nation, we must join around our flagpoles and pray. Amazing, isn't it? Why doesn't the newscasters, why don't we as Americans wake up every day and pray and ask God to bless this great nation? Or to bless the leadership? Or to be with the congregations in America? You know... I, I can look at the word differently now, and I, when I say unction, I want to have unction of the Holy Spirit because I can't do anything in my own power. I am just a weak, feeble uh, person 
but I can do all things through Christ that gives me the strength. And so I know that with the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, we can, we can fight the good fight of the faith. And so I've asked my brother Gary to, to sing a song that he wrote. And he was inspired by just watching on a Today Show what took place. And so it's called Justice for All. And I hope that we can all look back this time in our life and say, hope and pray that there's justice for all. Let us pray and ask God to, to bless his word. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that, Lord, you are uh, the one who has full authority and you reign and you rule. So, Father God, I just pray that this, this message this morning will resonate, will bring awareness, and that we'll understand truly where we're at in America today. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll endure us all with power. Give us the strength to fight this great fight, to keep America what it once was. Lord, bless your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. The Lord inspired you, Gary, to write that song, and we're blessed to hear it. And uh, my brother lives in Florida and has been in a country circuit circle for many years, and he's with a production company, writes music, and uh, has a great talent, and I'm blessed to have you sing that this morning. As we were sitting on the back of my, you can turn that down a little bit, please. As we were sitting on the back of my deck, uh, and that song came on, I'm like, wow, Gary, that is really awesome, and uh, there needs to be justice for all. Let's read in Psalms 33:12, and here's what it reads. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Turn to Exodus 19, 5 through 9. Exodus 19. And we're going to read verses 5 through 9. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure. Don't you love that word, peculiar? It actually means special treasure. Unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. I love what it says there in verse 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord had commanded. And he spoke what God had told him. And then look in Deuteronomy 7, 6, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. I know that even right there we're talking about the nation of Israel, and that was not directly to us, for it was for them. But I have to say, you know what? God was always trying to get their attention as well. Amen? And yet they kept running for him for 40 years. And so it's so cool to think that 
uh, we're in a place where God can really show uh, his love and his mercy. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that we as Americans at one time really was looked at as a Christian nation? We were. We've gone a long ways away from our roots as Americans. So here's one of my goals this morning. In the next few minutes, just to do a little bit of education. In fact, this message, like I said, was more of a historical lesson instead of a a Bible lesson. And may I tell you also, congregation, that I'd much rather preach more of a Bible-based message and break down that sermon and that passage of Scripture and explain what it says and do my best to apply this message to our lives. But today, what I, I do know and I realize that people need to know where we've been, where we were at, what took place, the revivals that took place in people's lives and in our country. And I realize this, if we as a church don't speak about it, the world will never hear it and they'll never know about it. So this morning I take great privilege to be able to give you some of this information. Our school systems and colleges and universities have become so secularized So distanced from our religion that huge chunks of information about the spiritual roots of our great nation are neglected. And unless you hear it from Christians, where will you hear it? So here's some things that are worth knowing about the roots of our nation. About the rights of Americans. The first thing, or the first thing right with America... And listen, I'm going to go through a time where we're going to see this and we're going to transition. Is that our earliest settlers were people who came here primarily looking for religious freedom. And as I was looking at some of this information, I thought it was so profound and interesting that we started the United States of America. We started here looking for religious freedom because of persecution. That it was profound. Other nations, for the most part, came into existence... By conquest for selfish and ambitious motives. But it was primarily the atmosphere of God, not gold or money, that America was born. The hardy souls who sailed on the Mayflower in 1620, what they do? They fled from tyranny and oppression. And in the Mayflower Compact, with the, which they signed beneath the swinging lantern in the cabin of their ship, they proclaimed that they had the new world. And here's what they said to the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. America was started on the glory of God and the advancement of our Christian faith. In early colonies in a public building to be erected was a church house. And first public exercise was the worship of almighty God. You know, when we got the steeple, I was reminded, really, the significance of the building of the church. Here's what we're communicating to people outside the walls. That the steeple, which should be higher than any home that's in the area, and people would be in that colony or in that sect or in that community, and they would go and they would find the church because you could find it by the steeple. 
And yet many churches today, we don't have steeples. And, you know, even I myself have said, oh, we could take a building. And I know a lot of churches are taking warehouses and so on and so forth. And they're using those as, as church buildings because that's our culture. But let me ask you this. If in Matthew 5, okay, Lord, this wasn't in here, but I'm going with it. But in Matthew 5, 16 says we're to be a light to the world. We're to glorify Christ by our light. We're to be the salt of the world, right? But have you ever noticed, have you ever drove down the road and said, oh, there's a church. Did you notice in a plaza, oh, there's a church you didn't know was there. Am I the only one who noticed that? Isn't it amazing? And this is my thought. We're now camouflaging the community, the church. People can't see Christ anymore. So if they don't see it in the building, they can't see it in the congregation, they're not going to see it in your soul. So we're to be a light to the lost world. And so yet when I look at America and I think about the very beginning and the liberties that we had, it was founded on, let's go to the church house and let's start off worshiping God in this public setting. When sorrow came, they gathered to church to appeal to God for help. But when bountiful harvest filled their barns, they gathered at the church for thanksgiving to God. Many people would come in sorrow, but yet in rejoicing. Thank you, God. You've blessed. If you've never been a farmer, you don't understand truly what harvest is about. We have a cousin. They own like 3,762,000 acres in Montana. I know Dave and Denise tell us all the time, please come to Montana. And my cousin Ed says to me, well, you wouldn't believe it just to get back to their house is like miles. But I remember when Dave said this, the farmers are upset because we have a drought and we're not going to have harvest this year. What happens? Farmers gather together and they go into a church and they start praying and ask God for rain. Isn't that amazing? See, we're great to pray. It's great to get on our knees before God when we need him. But let's be there and rejoice with him. You know, to start off the service with God is good. You know, that's the way every day of our life should start off. Getting up, getting on our knees and saying, thank you, God. You are good. You've blessed this great nation. You've blessed my family. You've blessed me. Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you for all that you've done and are going to do. Oh, we can't do that because you see the alarm clock went off for the fifth time and we got out of bed late. So we didn't have any time for God that morning. And so we ask ourselves, if we have a Christian nation, why aren't we on our knees praying before God and acting like a Christian? We can't fill up our churches. Pastor, listen, I would be at church. I would be there. But you have to understand, I've got about 22 things I've got to get done and I only have one day off to do it. I always love this. And I ask people afterwards, so did you get everything done yesterday? This is on Monday. You wouldn't believe what happened. I didn't get anything done. And I said to myself, thank you, Jesus. You answered prayer. Oh, I didn't. I mean, I didn't say that, but uh, I thought it. And uh, but I really do believe that we need to get back to a place where we're thanking God and we're rejoicing with him, not just in sorrow, but we're rejoicing with him for all the good things that he's doing in our lives. In 1643, as more and more people arrived on these shores, they joined together and I, you know, I have to tell you, I was, I hope you find this really profound and interesting because I did. Because I watched the correlation where we are at as sinners. We came into this world, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. 
Romans 5.12 says, As by one man sin entered into the world, so death was passed upon all men for that of all sinned. And it amazes me that as we see in our nation that we're all unrighteous, we're all sinners. I was watching this ebb and flow of, of life in our Christian walk of people going, Lord, we need you. No, we don't. Lord, we need you. No, we don't. Lord, we need you. No, we don't. And now I'm finding that we're back into that place again. We're going, God, we'll, we'll come back to you when we need you. And so you're seeing that tidal wave. And some of this information was so profound, and I've never preached this before, but I thought you would find it very, very interesting this morning. It was called the New England Confederation. They wrote a constitution, the first constitution written in the New World, and it began with these words. Listen closely. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. Isn't that amazing? I mean, to think that they got together. And they said, we're coming together for one common goal to advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wonder if Obama starts off his day like that in his quarters. I hope that today the decisions that are made are made to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, we've got to be careful what is said, for that's a government building. How sad is it? These are our spiritual forefathers who came to the shores of America So they could worship and practice their faith without persecution. That's what's amazing to me. And here we all are full circle. It's coming back around. So the first thing that's right with America is that its earliest settlers came here primarily looking for religious freedom. Two. The second thing right with America is that the founders of our nation had a strong desire to be pleasing to God and to do his will. I love what John chapter 5 verse 30 says. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. I seek not my own will, but the will of my Father which has sent me. How many of you feel like where you're at in your life, and you don't have to raise your hands, do you really believe that you're in the center of God's will? Are you seeking the will of God every day of your life? As a Christian, do people see Christ in your life? Can you say, yes, my life demonstrates who Jesus Christ is? Before I go any further, please remember that around 150 years passed by from the time of the earliest settlers to the beginning of our nation. 150 years before America was born. And we're not very proud of some of the things that happened during those years. You see, as time passed and the original settlers died off, many of their descendants were more concerned with increasing wealth and being comfortable live, with comfortable living than being faithful to God and to His Word. And as a wave after wave of immigrants arrived, many of them came for other reasons and with entirely different motives to the earliest settlers. I'm going to say this. Back then in England, the king actually brought in some servants, the king of England did. And I didn't realize this until I started doing some studying. They brought in some servants, and yet they were called the undesirable, the indentured servants. And they were to come into colonies and work in these plantations. Now, here's what's interesting. When he brought them in, the spiritual atmosphere deteriorated rapidly. Because here's what happened. Churches were dying, and many of them that had once sought religious freedom 
for themselves were now being intolerant of others. And it was during this time that someone often strange spiritual directions. You know, we often wonder what took place in Salem. We've heard about this, the Salem witch trials that began. It's because many of them that came in, they brought in, were, they had the power of voodoo, some of these slave girls, and so they would introduce that. Isn't it amazing? Can I ask you a question? Can light and darkness have fellowship? No, it's impossible. And so here, because of their own wants and their own needs, what they do is they bring in slaves. They bring in that influence. And so what happens? There goes the influence of God and in, in the influence of man and with the influence of demonic influence within, within the cultures. And we wonder why we are no longer one nation under God. The end result of it all was back in 1730, only about 10% of the people in the colonies attended church. That which begun the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith had almost disappeared from our land. How sad is that? By the way, much of what you hear derogatory about our early history comes out of this period. Those who oppose Christianity love to point out the faults of that time. But then something amazing happened. Back in 1734, a handful of preachers got together. Jonathan Edwards... George Whitfield, Gilbert Tennant, John Wesley, and others began to preach in the churches, in the streets, and in the fields. These soon turned into great crusades and revivals that spread throughout 13 colonies. Think about this. We're not preaching the word any longer, and so therefore, revival isn't taking place. All right, Pat, I had a man tell me, I'd come to your church, but you just preach way too long. Well, it's funny that I just saw you up in Cleveland Browns, and you were there for about four or five hours. And you even stood in lines and stood in the traffic, but you couldn't give God one hour of your time. I'm not just talking about here, and I'm not saying that in an ego or an arrogant way. I'm saying that we expect our churches to get together, and we as churches can't even get along. You know, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We can't even fellowship together any longer. And that's sad, and yet we want the world to say that we're Christians and people can't even see it in our life. And yet here they are. So what takes place? A great crusade and awakening starts to take place. Tens of thousands, listen to this, dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized. So many people came to hear Whitfield as he traveled the colonies that he had an open-air meetings because there just wasn't enough room in the churches. Then here's what Benjamin Franklin wrote. And I love what he said about this. When revival started to take place in our history, and this is why we're, we deal with Christianity today in America. Thank God for those missionaries that came here, and God just blessed it. But Benjamin Franklin wrote this. It was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion. It seemed as if it all the world were growing religious so that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. And I, I think this is so cool because here's what ended up happening. Even Benjamin Franklin was so impressed with revival because of 30,000 people they built an arena for the revival that was taking place. Even the president was so impressed. The leadership was so impressed. That revival was taking place. 
that they build an arena. Could you just think about this? Could you imagine in America? And I didn't think I used to hear pastors preach about this all the time. Well, we're going to be in the Laodicean age. The Lord's coming back. People will lose their way. Things will come in. People will lose their heart. And yet, there should be a time when people should be lined up outside the door, excited to hear the word of God. I don't know of any church that's doing that. Not one of my pastor friends, and I hang out with about 2,000 of them once a year, and I hear that up at Moody. None of them tell me. Yeah, people are like busting the doors down. I mean, they're bringing their grandbabies, their cousins. No. They can't do that because other things have become an obstacle. But, so I ask you this question. If revival took place because pastors got together and were praying, the question is, are there pastors praying today? Are there Christians praying today? Revival cannot take place until we get ignited and excited and start singing songs like, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And you can't get excited if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing in your life in Christ. I just want to say this. I'm happy to be a Christian. I'm happy to take a megaphone, lose my voice, and talk about the goodness of God. And I really believe that our churches today really need... Listen, men of God... Lead your family, lead, the, lead your children, lead your wife. Show her that you're praying for her. Let her know the importance of you being in the Word of God. Yeah, we recommend books and we talk about it, but come on, get in the Word of God and let God start to speak to your soul. So important. Yet we've missed it. We've missed this great awakening and this revival. Can you imagine 10% in that colony? And we're not talking 5, 10, 15, 20. We're talking 30,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through a revival. And yet, we can't get excited. We won't even get up and get out of our pew to walk over and say hi to somebody else. Because you don't understand. It's just too difficult. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not saying hi. Well, thank God Jesus Christ Decided to minister. And then he went to the cross for you and I. Because he loved me that much. That he went down through the Via Della Rosa. Up to Golgotha. And he died. And he was humiliated. And he was embarrassed. But he took a stand for his father. For he said, I will glorify my father. Do you glorify him in your walk? So why am I telling you all this? Because this great awakening was a precursor to the American Revolution. Our founding fathers, the signers of the Declaration of Independence, those who wrote our Constitution and the Bill of Rights, those who put their lives on the line, who fought and died that we might be free, all these grew up and came into leadership while this great awakening was engulfing the land. The generation that experienced the Great Awakening became the leaders of the American Revolution. You feel like you're in history class this morning. So check this out. Here was the prayer that was recorded by George Washington in his own handwriting. Listen closely. Let my heart, gracious God, be so affected with your glory and majesty that I may discharge those weighty duties which thou requirest of me. Again, I have called on thee for pardon 
and forgiveness of sins. For the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered on the cross for me. Thou gave thy son to die for me and has given me assurance of my salvation. Isn't that awesome? Many people that put down George Washington, and I don't know what you've heard, but I do believe he was a devout Christian and he wasn't alone in his faith. Over a 10-year period, political science professors at the University of Houston collected and cataloged 15,000 writings by founding fathers. Their goal was to determine the primary source of ideas behind the Constitution by identifying the sources quoted most often by them. Guess what the primary source was? Listen, it was the Bible. 94% of the quotes of the founders of our nation were based on the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? Have you met somebody when they say, wow, that guy inspires me. And when he's done, he always comes up with this scripture or he references God or he says something about just how good God is. Most people will say, yeah, the last time I talked to him, every time I see him or every time I see her, all she talks about is how sick they are. And there's no glory given to God or how broke they are or the hardships that they're facing. When people walk away from you, you know what they should say? Wow. They're like that old song. They have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Man, isn't that amazing? The cross that's before them, look, the world's behind them. They don't even talk about, can you believe that guy went through that much hardship and yet Jesus Christ is alive and real in that person? Amazing, isn't it? Are we really communicating who God is? Here's the third thing and the last that I think is right with America. America was founded by men and women who acknowledged God's supreme rule over men and nations. They weren't perfect. They weren't all devout Christians. But they acknowledged that God was the supreme ruler over man and this great country. I love what Psalms 22:28 says, For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. How many of you believe that God's still in control? Amen. Many of us would say that, right? We believe that he's in control of the world. Sometime you ought to read again the Declaration of Independence. Most of you are familiar with the prologue that says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain and alienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, liberty. And we know it, the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. They're saying we want a form of government whose job is to protect what the creator has given to each of us. Then, after listing a series of charges against the actions of the king of England, they make two more references to God. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, listen to this, appealing to the supreme judge of the world. They're saying that God is the supreme judge of the world. And then they end their declaration with these words, and for the support of the declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, and that is God, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. So this morning, how many of you have ever seen the, the picture of where they're signing the Declaration of Independence? I've seen it. 
And, and I love the story and the discussion that was behind that. One of them suggested they all get on their knees and ask God what should be done. And here these men of the Declaration of Independence all went to their knees as one man and began to pray and seek the wisdom and guidance of God. Let's stop for a minute and just think about that. Have you been on your knees and sought out God's wisdom? Or are you just saying, oh, that's what they just voted for, I'm going for it. That's what they just did it. When you think about America and just the liberties that we have in America, are you thankful that God really was, was supreme? But do you see from the past to the present, now we're hitting into the future, you've seen lack of honor to God, right? And so things start to decrease. And then God starts to come back in the picture. And then man gets involved. And God gets back in the picture. I really do believe that revival is going to take place. We just need to be ready for it. We as a church need to be prepared. We as a church need to love people. We need to see people's hearts turn from their wicked ways so that they'll seek his face. And then God will heal, heal this great land of, of the United States of America. I think it's important. John Adams said this in a letter he wrote to his wife, Abigail, about the meeting. Here's what he said. The most amazing thing occurred. Even the stern old Quakers had tears gushing down their cheeks. I, can I just tell you this? I just want a church that prays. What would you do if you walked in here and said, okay, today we're going to have a prayer meeting. We're all going to pray. Would you freak out? Or would you say, this is the greatest thing that's ever taken place in New Hope in the years I've been a part of it. And many of us have to say that it needs to be that God that has the authority and we need to go to him on our knees and on our face before him. So I say all this and I conclude. America was founded by men and women who acknowledge God as supreme ruler over men and nations. Now, folks, I'm not anywhere near through with the things I would like to say about the beginning of our nation. And there's a lot to be said, but I'm going to stop at this point in our, in our message this morning. Before I do, though, let me give you just an idea of the things that I'm skipping. First of all, I believe that America was protected and directed by God from the very start. And the British Empire at the time possessed the most powerful fighting forces in the face of the earth. The ragtag assembly of volunteers, farmers, tradesmen who composed the ranks of the con Continental Army were outmanned, outgunned, and outfinanced. Only a miracle could have brought them success. And I know at least two, maybe three miracles for which there are no logical explanations that God came in and showed his mighty hand. Again, American government is patterned after and based on biblical principles. Where did they get the idea for three branches of government? They got it right out of the Bible. That's where. And there's more, but let me go on because we've got to conclude. Again, America law was written by our founding fathers, guarantees our religious freedom to practice and proclaim our faith regardless of what Supreme Court may say today. And I guess which, with what we're going through today, there's a lot to be said about that, huh? And so yet... You can't talk about America. One man said to me, you know, I just want to say something to you. Every time there's a holiday, you try, to, you try to reference what's going on in America, and I do. And I love that because I love talking about where we're at, what we're doing, because God is the one who's in control. Last night I was sitting in my, my laptop, and I just wanted to pull up the Pledge of Allegiance of America. When I pulled it up, 
I saw this that somebody just wrote yesterday. Listen closely. I pledge allegiance to no flag, but to truth and morality. Which doesn't seem to exist in the divided states of America. And to no republic, for it stands for nothing. One nation. Under surveillance. Completely divided. With liberty and justice destroyed. And in alienable, alienable rights taken from us all. Isn't that amazing? Do you know that... The Washington Monument. Do you know at the top, there's an inscription that's there. This says, God be praised. But nobody talks about that, do they? And yet, we have forgotten that here in America, God needs to be praised. God needs to be worshipped. So I say in Psalms 33, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people for He has chosen... For his own inheritance. I just want to say that this morning. I praise the God. Who is the founding father. Of this great nation. And of this world. And I'm thankful that I get to stand up here. And talk about. A people. That's us. Who've done this our whole life. And who's going to continue to do this. Until the Lord calls us home. For when we hear that great trumpet sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and them that remain will be caught up together with him in the Lord, in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I want to praise God this morning. And I want to say in our church, I want us to all stand, if you would, please. And together, I would like to pledge allegiance to the flag. And even though there are many that are trying to take... One nation under God away. I'm going to say it with humility, with honor, and to say that I acknowledge as the pastor of this church, as a father, as a husband, that I'm thankful for America and the heritage of our great nation where many presidents really sought the face of God because they were on their knees before him. So say it with me if you would, please. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we as a church, that we as a community and a country, Father, can remember when the flag came with under God back in 1954, that even during that time of tribulation, they remembered that it was Almighty God, that it was your hand that guides, directs. And so, Father, we trust in you today. Father, I thank you that another year we celebrate the birthday of this great nation. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask for a special blessing upon our governmental leaders, upon our president, the vice president, their families. And right now, today, allow someone to cross their path, bring up conversation that maybe a Christian can, can add some influence and that you will, will come back into a place where we as Americans can say, yes, we are a Christian nation and we believe and we stand upon what the Declaration of Independence has to say. Father God, more than that, we all should say as Christians, we stand on your word.
that has never wavered. That is firm and that is true. For you said your word will not come back void, but it will prosper. And so, Father, we speak the word and we speak life into our communities. And, Father, we just pray as we celebrate this great nation, Lord, may we celebrate that you are good and your mercies will endure forever. For, Father, in this church, in my life, and in our families, we believe that we are under you. We are one nation under God. In your holy name we pray. Amen.